Before we hear God's word for us this morning, would you join me in prayer? Lord, before this world's days even began, your word was in the beginning, and it was with you, and it was you. The mystery of this brings us to our knees. Yet today you allow us to open your word and know you better. So we ask that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Give us hearts open to your spirit as we seek you. Amen. Would you turn with me to Exodus 20, verses 1 through 17, with a special emphasis on verse 16. Exodus 20, verse 1. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold, hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and mother, so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. People of God, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. Growing up, I remember learning that this law meant don't lie or always tell the truth. But telling the truth was not something that came easily to me. I struggled a lot with lying through childhood, high school, and into my college years, which is never fun to admit to anyone because then your words aren't taken very seriously. It might be especially unwise to admit that to a congregation at the beginning of a sermon. When I was working at Camp Geneva, for example, several of the counselors and I had survivor headbands that were knockoffs of the ones worn on the TV show. If you're not familiar with Survivor, it's a reality show where contestants are divided into teams and you have to survive in the wilderness and compete against each other. 
they all wear headbands that say survivor on them. So I had this headband, and many of my campers at Geneva believed that I was actually on the show, though some told me I didn't look strong enough to make the cut. But I insisted all summer long that I had been on Survivor. Well, one sweet little camper brought that little lie home with her and told her dad all about it. And several months later, when Eric and I were guest worshipers at a church in Chicago, her father pulled me aside after the service and demanded to know how I got on the show. He had been auditioning for years and hadn't heard anything. What's the process like? What was my workout routine? How long did it take me to hear back? What season was I on? Because he didn't recognize me. <laughs> so humiliated, I confessed that a bunch of counselors and I made it up just for fun to give the homesick kids something to distract them. And he tried to laugh it off, but I could tell he was really frustrated. It was not my best moment. I still feel kind of bad about it. Everyone tells little lies to exaggerate details or avoid something. But as a child, I lied about almost everything, even things that didn't really matter. So after spending time in counseling, which I would highly recommend to everyone, I learned that I lied to steal the spotlight from others. I lied to get out of trouble. And I lied to distance myself from my own pain. Dozens of apologies later, I am still learning about how important it is to tell the truth and how devastating the consequences can be when you don't. We've read the Ten Commandments together for several weeks, and whenever we get to this one, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. I feel the twist in my stomach that I've come to recognize as God's spirit, calling me to deeper faithfulness, deeper obedience, and deeper truth. I know that being lovers of and protectors of what is true, it really matters in the Christian life. And I also know that truth is all tangled up with bias, personal experience, convictions, family values, education, history, preference. Truth really, really matters but it's also messy and complicated. Sometimes it's difficult to sort out what is true. So as we remember God's command, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor, I invite you to consider this definition of truth. Truth means being authentic about who I am. Knowing my neighbor's authentic self and protecting both with my words. There is an important place for fact and objectivity in truth, but focus with me on this. Truth means being authentic about who I am, knowing my neighbor's authentic self and protecting both with my words. God's ninth commandment encouraged the Israelites to protect their neighbor's authentic self in a very literal sense. This commandment was originally practiced by God's people in the courtroom, where testimony could condemn someone to imprisonment, flogging, or death. In today's judicial system, testimony and eyewitness are not considered reliable evidence alone. Ideally, physical evidence or DNA or something concrete 
are necessary to prove guilt or innocence. So as you can imagine, it was critical to have an honest witness if you were called to court in the days of the ancient Israelites. If you turn with me to Deuteronomy 19, there are some specific instructions about how to carry this law out. Deuteronomy 19, listen or follow along, verses 15 through 21. One witness is not enough to convict anyone accused of any crime or offense they may have committed. A matter must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If a malicious witness takes the stand to accuse someone of a crime, the two people involved in the dispute must stand in the presence of the Lord before the priests and the judges who are in office at the time. The judges must make a thorough investigation And if the witness proves to be a liar, giving false testimony against a fellow Israelite, then due to the false witness, as that witness intended to do to the other party, you must purge the evil from among you. The rest of the people will hear of this and be afraid, and never again will such an evil thing be done among you. Show no pity, life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. A malicious witness, a person who lied about what their neighbor said or did, would be susceptible to the same punishment as the accused party if their lie was discovered. But if the lie was not discovered, or if the false witness was less important than assuring condemnation, an innocent person could be convicted. And that happens in Scripture. For example, Potiphar's wife, gave a false testimony accusing Joseph of trying to sleep with her in Genesis 39. And false witnesses accused Naboth of cursing God and the king so he would lose his vineyard in 1 Kings 21. This law and having multiple witnesses served as the final protection for those who were wrongfully accused of killing, murder, adultery, stealing, dishonoring parents, disregarding the Sabbath, or using God's name inappropriately. In the cases of Joseph and Naboth, false testimonies ruined their lives. Joseph was thrown into prison. Naboth lost his inheritance. But the most familiar instance of breaking this commandment in Scripture is well known. The story of Jesus' trial before Caiaphas the high priest and Pilate the governor. Jesus was accused of blasphemy for calling himself the Son of God, for being the King of the Jews, for forbidding giving money to Caesar, and doing evil in the eyes of God. The authors of the Gospels wrote that many false witnesses testified, manipulating Jesus' teaching to aggravate the crowd and force Pilate's hand. Ultimately, the witness accounts were too overwhelming, and Jesus was condemned to death on a cross. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. When you do, so much is at stake. The best way we can protect ourselves and our neighbors from the danger of a false testimony is to know and to love our neighbor. To be authentic about who we are 
to know our neighbor's authentic self, and to protect both with our words. We may not be called to court to give a formal testimony, but we have a lot of power over the reputations of others and the presence of conflict in our relationships when we speak falsely about our neighbor, when we gossip about our neighbor, when we slander our neighbor, when we paint our neighbor in a negative light. We are speaking a false testimony. And according to the passage Nathan read for us in the call to confession, it was inspired by it, God hates when false witnesses pour out lies and stir up strife within the community, which is from Proverbs 6, 19. Words matter to God. God uses words in Genesis to create life, abundance, and shalom, and words still have the power to create today. If I say to you, she's so arrogant, he's so bossy, they're too immature, that family is so disrespectful. If I say that to you, I am creating a reality in which you think of that individual or of that group as annoying, bossy, immature, or disrespectful. They become those things. Similarly, if I say to you, she's so humble, he's so thoughtful, they're so wise, that family is so devoted. I am creating a very different reality that is rooted in connection. I cannot know if someone is humble or thoughtful, wise or devoted, until I've made the space to hear who they are. It's easy to disrespect the people I hold at a distance. It's much harder to do that when I care. According to Deuteronomy 24, this law is particularly in place for those whose words hold little weight or value for the foreigners, orphans, and widows. So hear this text from Deuteronomy 24. When you are harvesting in your field and you overlook a sheaf, don't go back to it. Leave it for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow, so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. When you beat the olives from your trees, do not go over the branches a second time. Leave what remains for the foreigners, the fatherless, the widow. When you harvest the grapes in your vineyard, do not go over the vines again. Leave what remains for the foreigners, the fatherless, the widow. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt. This is why I command you to do this. When these people have a dispute, they are to take it to court and the judges will decide the case, acquitting the innocent and condemning the guilty. If the guilty person deserves to be beaten, the judge shall make them lie down. But the judge must not impose more than 40 lashes. If the guilty party is flogged more than that, your fellow Israelite will be disregarded in your eyes. We must protect our neighbors with our words, especially those whose words might be disregarded. The call to speak honestly reminded all Israelites to be careful and responsible in their use of words, especially when judging others, so that they would not harm the other in any way. It was a matter of respect. They were expected to speak constructively for the advancement of the neighbor's reputation and for dignity in their society. Know your neighbor's authentic self. Protect them with your words. And allow your authentic self to be known by your neighbor that their words might protect you. 
embody truth, be consistent with what you present to others and what is happening in you. Romans 12, in my opinion, is a call to authentic living. This was one of the texts that was read at Eric and my, Eric and I, Eric and my wedding. So it's kind of difficult for me to read it without getting choked up because I know that Eric and I have worked really hard to be authentic with one another. So I invite you to close your eyes and listen for this call to authentic living. Here's Romans 12. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but think of yourself with sober judgment, in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts, according to the grace given to each of us, If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, teach. If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and don't curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not overcome by evil, but overcome with good. I know authenticity is hard. I know that some generations have been taught that vulnerability is weakness. I know it sounds silly. I know that it raises anxiety. I know that it means opening yourself up to pain. I know that it means someone might take your honesty and throw it back in your face. But hear me, because I firmly believe that vulnerability is the birthplace of transformation and the radical call of all Jesus' disciples. Be authentic about who you are. Be authentic about where you've been, about what matters to you, about your doubt, about your mistakes. Be authentic about who you are, because that is at the core of what it means to be a living sacrifice, at the core of what it means to pursue what is true. 
Don't live a life that is removed from your own story. Don't forego the opportunity for your neighbor to know God's truth in you because you aren't witnessing to it. Don't rob yourself of wise counsel, encouragement, and prayer while expecting deep change. Who deeply changes without those things? Be authentic, because that practice represents a congruence between what you say and do and who you are. And speaking those words into existence creates a reality where you can be known, loved, and supported. Please don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying to go tell your cashier or your hairdresser or your accountant your deep, dark secrets. Oversharing is not the same as authenticity. But please hear what God has placed on my heart for us this week. Truth means being authentic about who you are, knowing your neighbor's authentic self, and protecting both with your words. That is the deeper call from the ninth commandment. Continue in the hard work of pursuing truth in yourself, in your relationships, and in your communities, so that God, who is truth, can be praised. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Would you pray with me? Almighty and loving God, we bless you for the gift of your word. We pray now for the grace to believe what we've heard and to live in ways that honor you above all. Through Christ our Lord, amen.